1: In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law. And my other master's degree in law is that I'm a master of the laws of intellectual property law. Now, both of these great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the mostly deserted but beautiful streets of downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, my experience, my experience, and mostly my lifelong interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, also debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that as part of my overall practice, I'm sometimes able to seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's on the planet today. I am As always, so pleased to be able to come to you again today from my makeshift studios in my home in the beautiful but mostly deserted streets of Oakland to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice and nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully to provide you with at least an outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out, and find qualified professional help. Now, I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky and you get real close to your adversary, you might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, because everyone else in the courtroom is either a lawyer in their own right or they're represented by a lawyer, you and your butter knife are likely going to be dead on the rival. That is to say, your valid claims and or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So once again, I'm going to share with you the purpose of Selling's Law is to help you figure out what to do when you run into money problems and how you can, you know, protect your families and or your businesses, financial help, wealth, and money-related issues as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening form. So I must say it's back, not that it ever left, but again I'm talking about the spread of the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, but I want to focus on its potential economic and legal implications for small business owners and what, if anything, we can expect our government to do to assist us and our employees in getting through this pandemic. But today, I want to share with you a bit of good news from one of our favorite government agencies, that is to say, the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah, okay. Now, my source material today are many, including the Internal Revenue Service, which is located at irs.gov, and the enabling legislation of two of the applicable acts that were passed by Congress this year the first is the coronavirus aid relief and economic security act also known as the cares act of 2020 and the second is the families first coronavirus relief act also known as the FFCRA, it too, of 2020. Now, the CARES Act is the law that is meant to address the economic fallout of the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic here in the United States. In its original form, it was introduced by the United States Congress as House Resolution 742, and it was entitled the Middle Class Health Benefits Tax Repeal Act of 2019, although the bill was subsequently amended in the Senate and finally voted on and passed by the House and signed off by the President um, yeah, in uh, March of this year. Now, the original bill that there's been much publicity about because it's undergoing um, an enhancement as we speak, The original bill proposed $500 billion in direct payments to Americans, $208 billion in loans to major industries such as the airline industry, and about $350 billion in Small Business Administration monitored loans. Now, as a result of some bipartisan negotiation, the bill actually grew to $2.2 trillion And that version of the bill was unanimously passed by the Senate on March the 25th of 2020. And the next day, it was resent to the House because it was a tax bill that originated there. And it was passed there. And on the 27th of March of this year, the president signed the bill into law. Now, the CARES Act is the largest ever economic stimulus package in the United States history. It amounts to 10 percent of our approximately $20 trillion U.S. gross domestic product. And it's actually two and almost a half times larger than the $831 billion stimulus package that was passed in 2009 as part of the government's response to the Great Recession that was caused by the housing bubble in 2017 and 2018. Now, The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the CARES Act will add $1.8 trillion to our overall deficit between 2020 and 2030, uh, with most of it coming up this year and next year. Now, the CARES Act is referred to as Phase 3 of Congress's COVID-19 response. The first phase of the act was a 8 $1.3 Point three billion bill that was focused on how are we going to come up with a vaccine? And so it was geared to fund research and development. And that bill was signed into law on March 6th of 2020. Now the second bill is an approximately $104 billion package that's largely focused on paying sick leave and unemployment benefit to workers and their families, and that bill is the Families First Coral Linus Response Act, which was enacted on March the 18th of this year. Specifically, that bill, also known as the FFCRA, it specifically provides funding for free coronavirus testing testing, uh, 14 days leave for American workers affected by COVID-19, and it also increased funding for food stamps. And as we can see, with so many people uh, losing their jobs, they need to eat, and a food stamp is one way to make that happen. However, both the CARES Act and the FFCRA Act have some not-too-obvious but very significant tax implications for all businesses and that all businesses need to know about, but especially so if you are the owner of a small business. In essence, the CARES Act is designed to encourage eligible employees to keep their employees on the payroll, despite the employers having experienced economic hardship that is due to COVID-19, and providing the business owner and employee retention tax, also known as employee retention tax credit. Likewise, and inasmuch as the FFCRA requires certain employers to pay sick leave or family leave to their employees who are unable to work or telework due to certain circumstances related to COVID-19, these employers are entitled to a refundable tax credit for the required paid leave that they have to outlay with up to specific limits. However, it should be noted that from what I have read, the same wages cannot be counted for both the employee retention tax credit under the CARES Act and the various sick and family leave credits under the FFCRA. So here's another example of why I must direct you to your own accountant and or tax lawyer for an analysis of how, if at all, these acts fit into your specific set of tax circumstances. So, again, you need to have your own uh, tax person assist you in determining, again, whether these tax credits can be of assistance to you. And if they are, it might be very, very beneficial to you. So uh, when we get back, We'll continue today's important topic by focusing on a bit of good news for small business owners from one of our favorite, if not our most favorite, governmental agency, the Internal Revenue Service. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic by focusing on a bit of good news for small business owners from our favorite governmental agency, the Internal Revenue Service. Now, I decided to broach today's topic. Uh, Because most, if not all, small business owners in the United States of America and all of their advisors are focused like lasers on the Paycheck Protection Program of the CARES Act. You know, that's the part of the act where initially there was $359 million set aside for small business loans to help them stay in business for a couple of months, uh, letting them pass through this loan to pay their employees and some of their overhead expenses. But if you've been, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know, that money went out the door real fast, and the money is about to be replenished. Again, we're recording this on a Thursday, and this is um, April the 23rd, and the Senate has passed the enhancement. But the house is taking all day to do it because they they can't all be in the same place at the same time. So even if the bill passes, that puts money back into the pot. I must say that, however, and unfortunately, even though Congress and it will likely enhance the CARES Act by putting hundreds of billion dollars more into the fund that small business can apply for these loans. Because the demand is so high and the fact that access to these funds are on a first-come, first-served basis and will also be gated by existing relationships with SBA-approved lenders that many small businesses don't have, most of us small business owners, as a result, will not get any of this money. And even if we do get the funds, there are many, strings attached to it, making it hard to convert it to what most most people want, that is to say a grant. And, um, you you know, many will not be able to balance these things out during the recession. So that is why I want you to consider the fact that depending on your circumstances, many of you, if most of you, will have access to the tax credits that I'm talking about. So let's start this way. What exactly is a tax credit? Well, a tax credit is a type of tax incentive offered by our government that can reduce the amount of taxes a taxpayer owes the government. Unlike a tax deduction, which is an interim way of figuring out what your gross adjusted income is and then apply that to the taxing rate depending on your tax bracket, a taxpayer can actually subtract a tax credit from the amount of taxes she owes, lowering her tax liability on a dollar for dollar basis. So said another way, while a tax deduction reduces your income that is subject to taxation depending on your tax bracket, a tax credit goes directly to your bottom line and reduces the amount of taxes you owe the IRS. So it it is substantially, it being a tax credit, is substantially more powerful and beneficial than a deduction or two. So according to the Internal Revenue Service, many businesses uh, have been severely impacted by COVID-19, and as such, they will qualify for new employer tax credits there the tax credit for sick and family leave and the employee retention tax credit now there are four different sick and family leave tax credits available the first is where an employee who is unable to work including telework because of a COVID-19 quarantine by the government or where they're self-quarantine after they have symptoms, and while they're seeking a medical diagnosis, an employee so situated is entitled to sick leave up to ten days. That is to say, eighty hours at the employee's regular rate of pay, or if it's higher, at the federal minimum wage or any applicable state or local minimum wage, up to five hundred and eleven dollars a day but no more than five thousand one hundred and ten dollars total for each employee so the employees entitled to this this payment this this sick payment there's also another type and it's caring for someone who has the covid 19 virus so what what do you mean what do i mean an employee who is unable to work due to caring for someone with COVID-19 or caring for a child or children because the child or children's school or place of child care is closed again because the child care provider is unable to provide that service due to COVID-19, an employee so situated is entitled to pay sick leave for up to two weeks, again, up to 80 hours, But instead of 100%, it's two-thirds of the employee's regular rate of pay, or if it's higher, the federal minimum wage or applicable state or local wages, and up to $200 a day or for $2,000 in total for each employee for the quarter. There's also a third one, care for children due to daycare or school closure. So an employee who is unable to work because of the need for child care for a child whose school or place of child care was closed and whose child care provider is unable due to cold they're entitled to paid family and medical leave, again, equal to two-thirds of their regular salary and up to $200 a day for up to 10 weeks. Now, the fourth and final one is a credit for eligible employers. Eligible employers, that's the business owner, are entitled to receive a tax credit in the full amount of the required sick leave or family leave, plus any related health plan expenses, and the employer's share of the Medicare tax on the leave for the period of April 1, through and to December 31, 2020. The refundable tax credit is applied against certain employee taxes on wages paid to all employees, that is to say the FICA wage. So the first three that I mentioned is that if you keep your employee on the payroll, you have to make available to the employee the ability for them to take off from work and take care of themselves or their children if they're ill, or if the child cannot go to child care or school. And so how does that benefit the employer, the tax credit for the eligible employer, the fourth one? You're paying this money out, and so you can deduct it on your taxes. And because employers pay quarterly to the taxing authority, there is a reconciliation form that you use to show that you're going to take this tax credit now. You can either wait till the end of the year, but the great thing about this, you can deduct it and get credit for it now. When you make your quarterly payments, the amount that you owe, you basically subtract it, okay? So that, that, those are the sick and family leave. There's, and then I just talked about um, the employer's part of that. There's an additional fourth and different sick and family lien credit. And again, it's the employer's retention credit. So an eligible employee can claim the employee retention credit, which is refundable uh, tax credit, equal to 50% of up to $10,000 in qualified wages, including health plan expenses that are paid after March 12, 2020, and before January 1, 2021. You have to make these payments to your employees and claim the credit in these quarters before the end of this year. Eligible employees are those businesses with operations that have been partially or fully suspended due to governmental orders due to the COVID-19 or businesses that have had a significant decline in their gross receipts compared to 2019. The refundable credit is capped at $5,000 per employee and applies against certain employment taxes or wages paid to all employees, what you might know again as FICA taxes. Eligible employers can reduce federal employment tax deposits in anticipation of the credit. They can also request an advance of these credits for any amount not covered by the reduction in their deposits to the government on a quarterly basis. So how, how does this work? Eligible employees, for example, who pays $10,000 in qualified wages to employees A in, in, in the second quarter of 2020 can actually deduct $5,000 off the top of his form 941 that's used to turn over funds to the government dealing with the amounts of money that are due their, uh, for their uh, payment of their um, employer part of the FICA. Anticipation In anticipation of receiving the credit, eligible employees can fund qualified wages by accessing the federal government taxes, including withheld taxes that are required to be deposited with the IRS or by requesting an advance from the IRS. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, especially... Where there's a tax law that might help us not only stay in business, but make sure that we can fund our employees' sick leave. So, till next time, take care.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead.